Guys, my name is Brady. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and I tell you what, uh, it's obvious that people knew Renault wasn't going to be here. It was 75 in the lobby. We're just packing it out. Everyone knew to come today. That's so great. I'm humbled by this. This is great. Um, I want everyone to do me a huge favor. I want you to put your imagination caps on. Can you do that? Put those back on. Some of you hadn't put those on since you were like five years old. It's been a while. Um, now, I want you to think about uh, the most evil, sinister villain that you can think of in some movie, television show, perhaps a story of some kind. Now, I'm not talking about those ones that are evil, but you really like, like Loki, um, you know, <laughs> Thor's brother. Because he's funny, and he's kind of nice. He's kind of got some redemptive qualities in him. And then you, you know his backstory, and you get it, right? He grew up as Thor's brother. I mean... That's the worst. Have you ever seen Chris Hemsworth? He's like the specimen of humanity that God created before the fall, right? You got to be his brother growing up, like for real? What's going on? It'd be like having to be Renault's brother growing up, you know? I mean, he casts a very long shadow because he's tall. That would be tough. Uh, it's because even when Renault talks about things that he's done bad, we're all like, oh, no. You're great. Uh, and then you just had to be one of his siblings. That would be tough. Um, and and it, so here's the deal. You've got that in your mind. Now, it's not one of those. It's someone that's more sinister like that. And if you're thinking the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you're probably thinking Thanos, who destroyed an entire moon full of people, uh, you know, billions of people. He, you know, forces daughters to fight one another. Maybe you're thinking the Joker from Batman. No matter how many chances he gets time and time again, he just commits crazy atrocities. Maybe you're thinking of Regina George from Mean Girls. Uh, you know, just these people that have no redemptive qualities. And it's, it's one of those people that when you think about them and you remember the ending of the movie and they got what was coming to them, everyone cheered. One of those people, okay? Think about one of those people. I think there are these people, and maybe you think real life. Maybe you're thinking Hitler, you're thinking Stalin, you're thinking the, the, the men who were behind uh, the Rwandan, uh, you know, genocide. You know, just, just these people that you think and that, that are probably beyond redemption. Now, I know you wouldn't say that out loud, but I think most of us, not me because I'm a pastor, but most of us think that there, there probably are some people that, that are beyond that, that there's no hope for them. Now, here's why I want you to think about that. Because recently, recently, there's been a string of movies and probably also books that I have not read um, about the backstories of villains. Um, and, and you get to see the reason behind why they are the way that they are. And you begin to feel sympathy for them. I think the reason we like these movies is because truly, in the movies, we at least subconsciously relate more to the villains than to the heroes. Because we know us. Like, like I know me. You don't know me, but, but I know me. And I'm guessing for most of us, there are things inside, things in our past, things that we really believe that if anyone else knew, it could be over. Because I know the thoughts that I've thought. I know the things that I've done. I know the people that I've hurt, the things that I've said that nobody knows about. That, that, that the guilt is so overwhelming. The shame is so overwhelming that if anyone knew, they would reject me. And if God knew, he would totally reject me. Because honestly, when I think about him, I reject myself. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe some of you are there the reason that I want to bring that to our minds is because under the surface, most of us are there and we fear 
What happens if our sin is exposed? I mean, the, the dark, the deep ones, right? What, what happens if someone finds out? What happens if God finds out? Because God is the judge and God is righteous and he's holy. And holy means set apart, meaning he's different than me. He's unique from me. He's never sinned. He's never done anything bad, so he can't relate. So if I'm, I'm me and I know my stuff and there's a, a righteous, holy judge who's not like me and can't relate and can't understand, he's not going to have sympathy for me. And so I'm in trouble. I'm guessing that at one time or another you felt like this. I'm guessing that from time to time you still feel like this. And that's why I'm so glad that Paul, uh, the writer of the, the book of Romans, he addresses this question because if, if my, if there are things that are too much and if God can't relate, if the judge is against me, then I'm in trouble. Then, then I can't feel secure. Then I can't, I can't stand secure in my faith. I'm always going to wonder. I'm always going to be terrified a little bit. Why don't you grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans the book of Romans is a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Rome. Rome was just the, the city of all cities back in that day and age. It was the city that everybody wanted to go to and be a part of, the architecture, the art, um, man, the, the, the society, the justice, uh, the political system. It was, it was amazing. And there was a church there. And, and the church was made up of two kinds of people. There were Jewish people and non-Jewish people. Uh, and there was a lot of problems because there was discrimination on both sides, okay? The Gentiles or the non-Jews were discriminated against the Jews and excluding them. And the Jews were discriminated against the non-Jews and excluding them. And Paul said, hey, this is not okay. This is not a good reflection of the gospel. So what I want to do is I want to unpack the gospel for you in the most complete way that we have. It's the book of Romans, this incredible letter that we have. And, and we're at the end of chapter eight. And where we are is the crescendo of, of chapter eight. And it's beautiful. It's totally beautiful. If you ever, you guys know what a crescendo is. It's in music where you get to have this really big build. And then on the cymbals, you got JP just, you're welcome. Uh, I, I, I beatbox on the side. Um, and, and here's the deal. Okay. So We've got this crescendo that talks about what God is doing and the confidence we can have in his work. He begins uh, at the very beginning of uh, the book of Romans. He talks about how every single one of us, we're all in the same playing field. We're all in the same boat. We all have the same footing, which is justly condemned for our sin. Every single one of us has, has willfully chosen to participate in sin of some sort. And when we do that, it's not just something that we do, but it's also an evil we participate in. We participate in the spreading of the corruption of God's good world that God created. So we're all the same, every single one of us. Doesn't matter uh, your age, uh, your race, uh, your gender. I mean, all of us are in the same boat, justly condemned under sin. But in the church, as followers of Jesus, we're all also on the same playing field because we've all received a free gift of God's grace, not because of what we've done, not because of, of, of you know, the, the, the things that we've accomplished, not because of our personality, not because of our looks, not because of our wealth. Like, it doesn't matter. It's a free gift of God's grace. Chapters five through eight, Paul unpacks this. There was an old kingdom and an old way, and now there's a new kingdom and a new way, and what stands between the old way and the new way is the cross. And then all of us who are followers of Jesus have been transferred because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of his life, his death, and his resurrection. He paid the penalty for our sins. We are now transferred, and our identity is secure in Christ in the new way, in the new kingdom. 
but our experience, sometimes we struggle with that and we, we go through suffering and, and, and we make poor choices and we begin to wonder. And Paul said that, that suffering is not something that should make us fret about our salvation or fret about what God may or may not do. He says suffering is a path that Jesus walked to glory and we get the opportunity to walk through that same path to glory. Now, it doesn't seem like an opportunity when we're going through suffering. Suffering is very difficult. In fact, Paul is not diminishing your experience with suffering. Paul knows suffering. In fact, Paul knows suffering as well as, if not better than, any of us in this room. When you look at his list of stuff he went through in 2 Corinthians, it's crazy. And that wasn't even to the end of his life. He still had shipwrecks to go. He still had um, imprisonments to go. He still had to be martyred for his faith. Okay, so Paul knew suffering. He wasn't saying suffering isn't that bad. He's saying when you get a glimpse behind the curtain and you see into eternity and you get a, just a tiny taste of the glory that is coming, you are so overwhelmed that it makes the suffering seem small. Not that they're not difficult, not that they're not hard, but when you experience them, you know that the glory is so much better. So for all of us who experience suffering greater than the average person, you have a better idea of the glories that are to come, that are going to make the suffering pale in comparison. And in fact, even in the midst of it, God is working good. He's taking evil, which is the enemy's best weapon. He's taking suffering, the enemy's best weapon, and he's going to use it for our good and for his glory. And now Paul is going to tie this off with a beautiful bow. In chapter 8, um, starting in verse 31, Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? In light of all that we've unpacked, in light of all that we've gone through, all that we know and we understand about the gospel now, what shall we say to these things? He's going to ask four major questions. Uh, I'll ask a couple more, but some of them are the answers to those questions. But four major questions. Number one, if God is for us, who can be against us. If God is for us, if God is on our side, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, the God that spoke the universe into being, if he's on our side, who can be against us? I was reminded this morning of the, uh, the movie, The Bear. If you guys remember that a long time ago, a Disney movie, I think it's a Disney movie. Maybe I lied this morning. It's a movie. It may be a Disney movie. It may not be. It's The Bear. Okay. And so The Bear is about this little bitty cub and his mom. And at one point at the very end of the movie, they get separated from one another. And, and, and the little bear runs into this, this mountain lion. And the mountain lion is thinking breakfast. Okay. And, and it's, it's really like, it's really emotional because you've gotten attached to these animals and, and the mountain lion's coming after him and he's attacking him and getting him and, and they go to the river and, and there's at the very end, the mountain lion's about to just take down this baby cub who has nothing left. And the baby cub like, like stands up and, and just growls a little bit and like, like, and then the mountain lion kind of backs up and gets scared and, and, and he gets confidence. He starts growling more and he's growling and the mountain lion is, is really terrified and, and he runs away and then the camera pans and you see the mama bears right behind the baby bear just growling at him. And, and, and you just think, that's us, man. If God is on our side, if he's got our back, nobody can be against us, right? And this, he just starts with this incredible truth. We wouldn't even need to go any farther. If God is for us, who can be against us? And he says this, let me just tell you about how for us God is, okay? He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also 
with him graciously give us all things. If God gave Jesus for us so that we might have life with him, so that we might be a part of his family, if he sent Jesus, Jesus and Jesus voluntarily submitted himself for us, I mean, if he went to that distance, is he not going to give us all things? I mean, if he has done the hard work of justifying sinners, why would he not do the easy work of glorifying justified people? Right? If he's done this, what do you think he's going to do? How can you worry? How can you wonder if he's going to come back and finish his work? If God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is nobody. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? This is the second one. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And this one begins to make us nervous because we know that there are things that people, if they knew, we'd be in trouble. You've got the enemy who is, who is against us. And what we find out in, in the book of Job, the book of Job in the Old Testament, uh, chapter one, verse six, it says this. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, and this is referring to the angels, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and for, fro, fro, we don't say that a lot, to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse your face. What we find, we begin to get a picture of what's going on. There's an enemy, the devil or Satan. And daily he is accusing us before God. He's accusing the brethren. He's accusing us. And I tell you what, he doesn't even have to tell lies. He doesn't even have to make trumped up charges against me. He doesn't even have to twist the truth about me. I know. And you know. And that's what's going on. But here's, oh, I love this. Job is like um, chronologically probably the first book um, uh, that, uh, of stuff that's going on. Now we turn to the last one. This is so good. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. And John is giving his revelation that he got from God. And he says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers, Satan, the devil, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them night and day before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. John gives us a glimpse into the future. Something that Paul is understanding as well. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can bring a charge up? I know the enemy is charging us, but he's gonna be thrown down. And get this, get this. Oh, this is the answer. It is God who justifies. Paul says, the judge has already declared us righteous. Who can condemn us? Doesn't matter. Jesus has taken, he's paid the penalty for my sin. I am righteous. And so are you. As a follower of Jesus, you are the righteousness of Christ. 
Who can, who can condemn us? And that's what he says next. Who is to condemn? I love this. Christ Jesus is the one who died. The son of God, God in flesh is the one who died for us. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's interceding for us. Now, now, now get this. this, this is so crazy. I love this. We tend to think, I tend to think, that yes, when I come to faith in Jesus, when I begin to follow after Jesus, he has paid the penalty for that sin. But what happens now when I continue in sin? First John, First mm. John chapter two, one and two. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, right? I don't want you to sin. Sin is not the way to do it, but... But, however, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When we continue, when we fall, when we fail, when we rebel, we still have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. You get this law court metaphor. You've got God the Father as the judge. You've got uh, Satan the enemy as the prosecutor. You've got us sitting in the defendant's chair. And what we find is that Jesus is our defense attorney. He's on our side and he's saying, here, Father, I paid for their sin. You have already declared them righteous. They are justified. So God as the judge and God as our advocate. When our advocate is also the judge, who can be against us? Who can bring up a charge? Who can condemn? Nobody. Nobody can. When you feel guilty, when you feel ashamed, when you feel overwhelmed by the accusations of the enemy, you can say, I am the righteousness of Christ and Jesus is for me and the judge is on my side. And now Paul says, that's a, we, we've, we've done the law court metaphor. Now forget that because that's not what's good. That, that, that's good, all right? That's good, but oh, it gets better. It's way better. He says this, Continuing on in Romans, verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul's recounting things that he has actually gone through. And at one time, he will get the sword. He will be martyred for his faith. And Paul says, what's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Any of these things? No. And then he says, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, I get it. I understand. I feel all like David felt in Psalms when he wrote this. I feel like, you probably feel like that there are times, man, it just feels like we're being slaughtered all the day long, that we are just being tempted over and over. We are being persecuted. We are suffering. Things are not going our way. And we're wondering, has something finally happened that has separated us from the love of God? And Paul says, no. In all these things, we are more than, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's not just that we are conquerors. And even that, it's not just that Jesus is the conqueror. Paul says, we 
are conquerors. But we're not just conquerors. We're not only conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Paul has glimpsed into eternity and he sees what is going to be the end result that we will, through the power of Jesus, the power of his spirit, the guiding of his spirit, we will conquer all these things. Shall anything separate us from the love of God? And he says this, for I am sure, I am positive, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm, so good. For I am sure death will not separate us. Life won't. The things that come our way in life won't. Angels won't. Angels can't. Rulers, and, and this is probably uh, angelic rulers rather than earthly, but also that. Rulers won't. Things that are present, things that are to come, powers won't. High depth, anything else. And that's, I love when Paul uses this. He's like, I'm going to list a bunch of things and I'm going to say, in case that didn't cover it, anything else in all of creation, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, here's where this, this gets really cool. Paul uh, was also known as someone else, a.k.a. what? Saul. Yeah, that was his Jewish name. Now, Saul was a pretty impressive young man. He was brilliant. He was a hard worker, studied like crazy, and he increased uh, above all of his contemporaries. So all of his, his peers, he exceeded them. He was better than them. He was smarter than them. He worked harder than them. And he got a seat on the Sanhedrin. This was huge, right? In Judaism, the Sanhedrin was this council that was just the council of all councils. And then Paul actually got a special mission from the high priest who was the top person in all of Israel. It'd be like if, if one of us got a special secret mission from the commander in chief, okay? Th that would mean that, that we probably got a pretty close relationship. Probably he respects us a lot. So you know that Paul was impressive. Now, Paul was against the way. There was this, there was this group of people that began saying the things that this guy named Jesus said. And, and, and Jesus was crucified, so I don't know why they're still saying the things that Jesus said, and they're living their life like Jesus lived. And, and, and I tell you what's happening is it's spreading. People are into what they're saying. They're being transformed by this message. And that for Paul was a signal of the crumbling of all he had built his life upon. So Paul decided to be the number one opponent of the way. The number one opponent of Christianity. He hated the way. He hated the followers of Jesus. And it wasn't just that he was following orders. Paul had anger. He had hatred. He had resentment in his heart. So when he imprisoned people, men and women, when he ripped them from their families and imprisoned them, he was glad about it. He was excited about it. When he cast his vote against Christians to die, he was glad about it. He was excited about it. He was the self-proclaimed number one enemy of the gospel of Christ. And what Paul discovered on the road to Damascus is that if God is for you, nobody can be against you. Because he was, he was against Christians and he found that God was on their side. 
that God was for the followers of Jesus. When he came into contact with the risen Lord Jesus, he realized that if Paul couldn't be against Christians, no one could be. That there was no one on earth who was as passionately against them as Paul. That's why he can say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Paul was bringing charges against God's people and it didn't matter, it continued to spread. Paul was accusing them, he was imprisoning them, he was having them killed and Christianity continued to spread. Paul realized from personal experience that if God is for you, nobody can be against you. And then Paul experienced something else. Paul was transformed And then a guy named Ananias came to his door. And he got rid of his blindness. And he showed him the way, invited him into the way of following Jesus. So Paul, the number one enemy of the gospel, was invited by Jesus into his family. And Paul realized, I'm guessing in that moment, that if being the number one enemy of God can't separate you from Jesus, nothing can. That if Paul is in the clear, then we're all in the clear. That we can have our hope securely steadfast in him, knowing that it's not a law court, that it's a father, a loving Father who has adopted us into his family, who has given us his spirit, the spirit of adoption that draws us to cry out to him in an intimate way, Abba, Father, Daddy. He wants us to know him in that way. He wants us to cry out to him in that way as our dad, as a kid. Paul says, if this is the truth, then no one can be against you. And Paul says, I've experienced it. I know no one can be against you because I was against you. And I know that nothing can separate us because nothing separated me. Jesus said in John chapter 16, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's gonna happen. It's gonna come. You are going to have trouble. But he said, take courage. I have overcome the world. He's already overcome the world. Shall height or depth, angels, rulers, powers, principalities, shall they separate us? No, absolutely not. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus our Lord because God the judge is actually our father, our loving father. When I was a kid, um, sometimes we got to go on some pretty cool adventures. Uh, and my dad, great dad, and I know not everybody's experience is that. Um, some of you didn't have great experiences with your dad. Some of you, your dad's left and you don't get this. Um, man, I had the, the grace of God to be able to have a father like that. And my dad, he's a man's man. He's so strong. Like he, he's, he's one of those guys that, that when you were a kid and, and like kids would be like, my dad can beat up your dad. I was always right. Every time, I wasn't even exaggerating. Like my dad could beat up their dad. Um, impressive. He played uh, nose tackle in college football. Yeah, so he's just an impressive guy. And one time he took us, uh, 
snorkeling, and we were, we were snorkeling, uh, I, I think it was Hawaii, I don't remember where we were, I was really young, um, and, and we were, my dad just loves, you know, the beauty of creation, just loves all that kind of stuff, and there was this rope that was separating um, this place that was safe from the place that had this incredible undertow. Now, if you've ever been caught in an undertow, you know, you don't mess with that, but just on the other side of the line, there was some really beautiful coral and some incredibly fish. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. So we just, we had to go see them. Um, and, and, and man, immediately we got caught in the undertow and we were getting taken out. Uh, and, and, and my dad, my dad, he's one of those guys that there's nothing that he wouldn't do for his kiddos. So of course, man, he takes, us at, takes, takes off after us and he's swimming with all of his might, grabbing us and bringing us back in uh, to the place where we'd be safe. And, and when I got back, I, I realized what all was going on. And, and here's the interesting thing, is when I was caught up in the undertow, I wasn't even scared. You know why? Because I knew who my dad was. I knew my dad would save me. I knew there was nothing that would stop him, nothing that would prevent him from taking me and saving me. My sister was scared because she didn't have faith in my dad. Shame on her. But I was not scared. I was not even worried. And if you've ever seen the movie Taken, you begin to get a glimpse of a father that will go to extreme measures to save his kid. And this is what Paul wants to say to us today, is God is that father. There's nothing that can stop him. There's nothing that will, will stop him from coming to get you, from coming back to claim you fully as his own because you are already his adopted daughter or son and he loves you. There's a worship song that someone shared with me the other day. Uh, I think it's called the Lazarus Song. But it's sung, I, I think I could be wrong about this. This is what they told me. It's sung the, from the perspective of Lazarus. Um, and if you know Lazarus, he was a guy, he had a couple sisters, Mary and Martha, and he died. He was a good friend of Jesus. He died and, and, and Jesus came a few days late and it was actually four days later and he raised Lazarus from the dead. And the chorus of this song says, you came, you came, I knew that you would come. And I don't know what Lazarus was th thinking. We don't, we don't know, we don't have that in scripture, but I tell you what, one day, one day when we are with Jesus fully, when he returns, one day we are going to get to sing arm in arm with one another. You came and we knew that you would come. I may have doubted. I may have been scared. I may have been worried. I may have fretted. Maybe the waves were too big and I got nervous. But my spirit inside was with your spirit inside, calling out, knowing deep down that you would come and rescue me. This is the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, that there's nothing, no height, no depth, no sin too bad, no shame too great that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Oh, wow. Father God, what an amazing God you are. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are for us. Thank you that you are on our side, that you are our advocate and that you are a loving father. 
Lord, I pray that you would, you would sear that truth into our hearts. You would sear that truth into our minds, that you would get it in there and that we would never waver on this truth. That no matter what our circumstances are, we would remember that our Father is God that you are on our side, that you are the creator and the sustainer of the universe and that nothing, nothing can separate us from your love. Not just your justice, not just your mercy, but your love. I pray that we'd remember the great sacrifice of your son, Jesus. I pray that we'd be filled with gratitude. And I pray that would remind us that there is nothing, no distance you won't go, no price you won't pay to save us, that you will finish the work you started, that you are faithful because it is in your character. You cannot deny yourself. You will remain faithful. Remind us, God. We need that reminder. Thank you for your love. And we pray these things in the incredible name of your son, Jesus. Amen.